Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Phil Kulkasi, who received his bachelor's degree in chemical engineering from the University of Notre Dame and a master's in secondary education from Lewis University. Philip is a 2022 Golden Apple Fellow and was a Presidential Award winner in Mathematics and Science Teaching in 2017. He has over 25 years of experience as a math and science instructor and has taught at Wheaton-Warrenville South High School in Illinois since 2002 and served as Science Department Chair since 2012. Kokesi is also an adjunct professor at the University of St. Francis, teaching graduate-level education courses. He's an active leader and participant in professional development sessions and workshops regionally and nationally. Here's my interview with Phil. Hi, Phil. How's it going? Great, Mark. How are you? It's, it's beautiful here in Chicago today, finally. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad to hear it. We're having a bit of a warm spell here on the uh, West Coast, Central Valley. It's like 97 or something today. Oh, so. Not bad. It's 78 and sunny here in Chicago. Oh, gosh. So it's, lucky. It's perfect, finally. Very nice. It's been cold back there, huh? Yeah. Well, I, I'm very happy that you're joining me today, and uh, I'm anxious to talk to you about your modeling experiences. So th- tell me first, as we get going here, how did you originally get introduced to modeling and uh, the you know modeling instruction in the classroom? How did that first come to you? Well, that's that's a great question, and the simple answer is it's uh, by a guy that your listeners are probably familiar with. So, um, as luck would have it, in two thousand two, fall of two thousand two, I started at Wheaton Warrenville South High School in Wheaton, Illinois, which is about oh, I don't know, about twenty five miles due west of downtown Chicago, and uh, there was a guy teaching there by the name of Jim Stankovitz. And uh, as luck would have it, Jim was my high school physics teacher at Marist High School on the south side of Chicago. And uh, since I had seen him last, he had subsequently moved to Wheatmoreville South to teach there. And so, you know, about 10 years after I graduated high school, we ended up uh, working together, which was uh, a wonderful treat and, uh, and amazing to see someone like that again. And so I went into his uh, physics classroom that first fall, and he was using modeling instruction, which he had not used when I had him in high school. Uh, and he, for that, he apologized profusely. And so, you know, I would I would go into his classroom uh, that fall, and I I was just dumbfounded, amazed, shocked uh, by what I saw his students doing. Uh, with whiteboards and with presentations and with discussions and with the questioning he was using. It was so 
radically different than the physics class that he taught to me and my brother while we were uh, in high school. And uh, in the 10 years that I hadn't seen him, he had uh, changed schools, number one. And number two, uh, came across this type of instruction called modeling instruction. And so uh, he had uh, taken the the modeling course over the summer um, in, I think, 97 or 98, something like that. And he had the support of a fantastic principal at Wheaton Warrenville South. And uh, he encouraged Jim to try new things in his classroom. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the modeling movement at, at Wheaton Warrenville South a few years before I got there. Wow. That's that's really cool. Yeah, Jim is a well-known modeler. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're lucky to have been able to work with him. That's, Incredibly that's lucky, great. for sure. Yeah. So... Tell me and our listeners, what surprises as a teacher you've discovered since you started using modeling? Can you kind of share with us kind of the big things, that ahas or, yeah, uh, you, you know, the surprises yeah. that have come to you? Well, I think the number one thing, the biggest thing, even though a teenager will never admit it to you publicly or privately, <laughs> um, is how much the kids like it. And how mm. much the kids enjoy that type of instruction. And and don't get me wrong, there's days uh, it's like pulling teeth at the dentist office. Um, but not a lot of their classes in high school are are uh, are run this way. And and if you think about you know if you put yourself in a in a 15 year old's shoes, uh, their day's pretty miserable. You know they have to get up early and they have seven classes that have seven different systems and they have to ask permission to leave and they. You know, they get a terrible lunch every day if they even have time to eat it. And then they have stuff after school. And, you know, it's it's 12 to 14 hour day for some of these kids. And um, and sitting there in class and writing notes and listening to a lecture is obviously a lot easier. But uh, what surprised me the most is how much we were able to get kids to buy into this type of instruction. And, and to the point where when I was first messing around with it in chemistry, uh, when I would go back to some of my traditional uh, material, kids would ask for the modeling stuff. Hey, uh, you know, Mr. C, when are we going to do the whiteboards again? And that that's what really convinced me in about 2011, 2012, that, that I needed to, to really commit to modeling for the entire year rather than just a unit or two here and there. So uh, the biggest surprise to me is, number one, how much the kids have bought in. And then number two, from from a sort of an adult standpoint or from a teaching standpoint is um, the amazing things that kids are capable of year in and year out. Uh, When you allow them to expose their thinking, when you allow them to make their thinking visible as some of the famous papers that that you've quoted on here have have talked about. And, And when you hear what's going on, uh, thinking-wise for them, it never ceases to amaze us year in and year out because there's always new angles of looking at a problem that we would never get if we just told the kids how to do the problems. Mm-hmm. So I think those two things are the biggest surprises. Yeah. Wow. That's that's very insightful. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. So when, it, you, you know, I, I know that one of the things that uh, most modelers and you are mm-hmm. – 
really interested in is developing your ability to ask good questions of your students. Right. So what tips would you get, because I know you're good at this, what tips would you give for developing the techniques for that kind of Socratic dialogue in your classroom? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first thing is go to a workshop, right, in the summer. Um, and, and put yourself in a room with like-minded people and put yourself in a room with people who are, who've done modeling or are experimenting with modeling. And, you know, we've done that a lot at Wheaton Warrenville South over the last 10 or 12 years. And, and one year during a workshop, I actually had a teacher write down every question that I asked, uh, of the teachers who were pretending to be students uh, in the workshop. And it, it ran like three or four pages of, of questions. And so, huh. um, you know, we've shared that year in and year out in the summer. And, and that, that ser- sort of serves as a baseline to, um, to start with asking questions. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a young teacher tell me once, because I'm a department chair now, and so I work with a lot of younger teachers and um, the teacher had student taught in a, in a more traditional setting, lecture uh, type setting. And now she comes to our school where, where we work with modeling. And, and she told me something that's really simple to remember, I guess. Uh, she said, you know, when I was student teaching, I used to write down what I had to tell the kids every day. Um, and now I write down what I'm going to ask the kids every day. And I, I thought that was an interesting uh, sort of mind switch, uh, the way to prepare for class. Uh, you know, so we think about, I, I go through worksheets and, and labs and I, th- I think about what I'm going to ask the kids, uh, which is really insightful on her point. And the other thing I would recommend is that, you know, it's, it's an art and it, it takes time and it takes patience and it takes practice mm. and it could take three years to, to really feel comfortable asking questions. Um, I mean, the best thing I ever did as a younger teacher and then as a department chair was go and sit in Jim's classroom and listen to him ask questions. Or I would go listen to Frank Novakowski ask questions, you know, when I had to do observations as a department chair, but I was really just cheating and, and stealing all their questions. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that, that's my advice is you, is you write down what you want to ask the kids. You go watch other teachers ask questions. And then the third thing, which nobody ever wants to do, is to videotape yourself asking questions of kids. And and I, I think those are the those are the ways to get better as a teacher and to get better at, at modeling is to watch other teachers, to record yourself and watch yourself, and then think about what you're going to ask the kids because it does take time and practice. Yeah, that's really good advice. It's not cheating when you when you copy others <laughs> if they're good at it you know and you're you're gleaning from what they're doing that's right well really I, good... you know i was supposed to be in there doing their their formal observation as their department chair but i was really just looking for tips about modeling <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um i read that you you've eliminated points-based grading in I've tried, classrooms. and I'm still trying. Yeah, uh-huh. that's a, that's our joke. Chemistry is pointless, is, <laughs> and you know we want to put that on T-shirts because people won't understand except for the kids in the room with us. Um, <laughs> I, you know, this has been a this has been a long term project, and um, you know, grading is grading is really the third rail of of teaching high school. It's it's something to be avoided because it's a Pandora's box. Um, hmm. but I've really felt all along that 
if we're going to if we're going to change the way that we're teaching, we need to change the way that we're grading too. Hmm. And uh, that's really, really hard because it's sort of an entrenched system of do this and we'll give you points or do this and you get a nine out of 10 or this is your score on the, on the midterm or the unit test and you got an 87 out of 100 and um, then we're going to average up all your scores and that's going to be your grade. And if you get a 89.5, maybe your grade will be rounded and maybe it won't and depends on the policy and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've struggled with that for a long time. Um, and, and in conversations with kids, we do a lot of interviewing of kids, which has really helped at our summer workshops and, and, you know, if a kid gets a, a 65 on their first test of the semester, they're very honest and they'll say, I have no chance of getting an A, so why should I do this homework? And I can very easily get a B and because um, I know you're just going to average the 65 in my grade. And 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 so what we've, we've tried to come up with is a way to um, give kids hope and give kids a reason to keep going and give kids a reason to learn that's sort of separate from just trying to accumulate points. Um, and, you know, sometimes we as teachers, we have these discussions of, you know, why won't kids do this if it's not worth points? And, you know, it, it's a whole, we could, we could do an entire hour long podcast on, on grading, which I don't want to do because no one would listen to. But um, <laughs> I, uh, Eventually, I decided, you know what, I have my group of little sophomores and um, we're going to try and make the homework pointless, make the quizzes pointless, make the tests pointless. Uh, and we're going to keep track of the, the chemistry skills that I want them to learn. And we're going to have them show improvement and we're going to offer them chances to try again on some of these objectives Um with the ultimate idea that by the end of the semester, you need to learn this stuff and, and the amount of stuff that you have proven that you're capable of doing will lead us to give you an A or a B or a C for the semester. And, you know, at our school, and I think a lot of schools on the kids transcript, they don't get an 89.5 or a 93 or a 74. They get a letter A, B, C, D. And so we just started giving letters for everything and, and tried to cut out the points. So, uh, it's been something we've been working on for about seven, eight years uh, that I tried by myself uh, all those years ago, and it, it's kind of caught on in our department. And, and a lot of the a lot of the teachers in biology and physics are trying out their own variations of this. Um, but I think it goes back to what I saw in Jim's classroom. You know, twenty. 21 years ago at this point, is, is kids are capable of more than we think they are. And um, kids, if you create the right environment, kids will do homework, even though it's not worth points, because it's now extra practice rather than do this to accumulate your, your 10 points or whatever. So um, we have been able to get kids to do homework or extra practice without grading it or without collecting it for points. And so uh, we were making a lot of progress with that. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and everything got flipped, turned upside down. And uh, and so we're trying to build momentum again there. But I, I do think there is a way to grade without points. And, and 
we've done it for the last seven or eight years. It's not perfect, and it's not always easy to explain, as you can tell, but I think there is a way forward. That's fascinating. I, I really uh, think your thoughts on grading are, are, are interesting. You said you could talk for an hour on it, and I don't know <laughs> that it would be that boring. So <laughs> um, so my question w- to you about regarding this is, how do you? What's the process you guys use when you're determining the grade then for the kids? If you're not using that, that, a point system, what's what's the that, process? That's a great question. That's a great question. So I'll, I'll give you an example. If uh, and the, of course, the devil is in the details, and there there's a lot more under the hood on this as far as collecting data and spreadsheets and Google Forms and and programs that we've used for for grading and keeping track of all the data because it does generate more data. Um, but the bottom line is like, let's say this semester in chemistry, there's 25 objective skills, learning targets, whatever the heck you want to call them. There's 25 things in the second semester of modeling chemistry that I want kids to be able to do. And if they've demonstrated over and over again that they could do, say, 22 of those 25, they get an A for the semester. And then we go down from there. So... Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, but let's say that you've demonstrated you could do 20 of them really super well, high, we, like a like a stoplight green, and um, then, you know, uh, maybe 18, and then seven of them are yellow, so that's a B, and, or maybe you have, you know, 15 are green and 10 are yellow, that's maybe a B minus or something like that. Um, huh. But the kids know all that ahead of time and they know what they uh, need to prove to us on the final before they go home for the summer. So that's kind of, that's kind of what we do is, you know, there's still our lines that you have to draw uh, for an A or a B or, or, or a C or whatever. But sure. Gen- generally speaking, you know, if, if a high majority of the skills we want you to know in that chemistry modeling curriculum, you've mastered them and shown them over and over again to us, then uh, that's an A. So it sounds to me like um, it, it requires a little more process of thinking from the teacher's perspective as you're evaluating the student's work rather than just adding up points on a test. You're really looking at what they did and, and kind of how they're understanding how deep their understanding is on on each problem. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it is more work and more time. And I'm the first to admit, you know, I only teach two classes a, a day now as department chair and, and, and other teacher, teachers have, you know, so I have 50 kids and, and almost everybody else in the department has 125 kids. Mm. And so there's an economy of scale there for sure. Yeah. Uh, and we, we have eliminated a lot of multiple choice um, exams, which of course are, are less time consuming to grade, but they don't really give you a, as much of a picture of what kids are thinking. Uh, we do sometimes include multiple choice questions, but they then there would be a space underneath, you pick choice C, explain to us why you pick choice C. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, and, and I, I think what's really helped me is, is before I started thinking about grading this way. And, and you know, I, I certainly wasn't the only one to do this. I, I made sure I was a year behind Ryan Bruick and, and Erica Postuma in Indiana, and I stole a lot of their ideas on this as well. Um, and they helped me come up with, with some new ideas for this. But I, I think the biggest thing for me is I had 15 years of experience teaching chemistry of 
I know what A work looks like in chemistry. I know what B work looks like. I know what C works like when I was grading with points. And so it wasn't that tough for me to transition to grading this, this free response problem and say, hey, this is A work right here, or this is needs a little improvement right here, or this is you just have no idea what you're doing here. And we need to talk about this and you need to show me again that you can do it uh, or show some improvement. And so that really helped me come up with this system that's a little bit more convoluted, as I, as I mentioned before, um, of being able to say, you know, this is a work right here. We don't need points to prove to me that this is a nine out of 10 or a, a 93 out of 100 or, or things like that. You, you really know what's going on here. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Let's talk about your approach to whiteboarding sessions. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how what you've learned in helping a whiteboarding effect uh, become effective, and you know, uh, with your kids, and because I know that's something you've been practicing for a while. Yeah, the, the hardest part about that is it's not the buy-in of the kids. You can get the kids to buy into what you're doing. You know, from the, from the beginning of the year, you create this space that kids look forward to coming to as much as a kid can look forward to coming to science class. Right. Um, and you create this room where, where kids uh, feel safe and they feel comfortable and they feel okay sharing. Uh, and I think part of that is eliminating the points because a kid's not going to lose anything or gain anything by throwing out an idea or by speaking. And so when you remove that construct, you know, you can throw an idea that says, hey, you're supposed to divide that by two. And maybe that's not the right way of approaching that problem. But it's not like they got minus three for the discussion or something like that. So they're willing to share. The most difficult part, especially in the new world that we're living in, is getting kids to try the problems before we have the discussion. Uh, Because if only 10 of your 25 kids or 30 kids have tried the problem, the discussion is now between me and 10 kids and the other 20 kids have no buy-in. And and especially within the last three years, trying to get kids to come prepared with, you know, I've tried this problem. I struggled with this problem. Here's where I, here's where I, ran into trouble, okay, let's stop and talk about it. And and we were getting there. We, we really were getting there. And now uh, within the last three years, there's such a deep anxiety with kids about everything. Hmm. Um, and they, they want the problems to be right. Is it Mr. C? Is this right? Is this right? Did I do this right? Did I do this right? And they don't want to they don't want to come start their whiteboard until they know their problem is 100% correct. Oh. And if, if the problem is 100% correct, the whiteboard discussion is super boring. And pointless. Exactly. And pointless. <laughs> in, in, in two different meanings of the word pointless. Yeah. Um, because nobody's, you know, the, the learning comes from the struggle. And if the struggle is already done because you're so worried about presenting a correct answer, uh, the other kids in the room, you know, because the whiteboards aren't for me. And, and that's what I've told kids since I started. The whiteboards are for them to, to learn and to think and to talk it through. And so um, that's what's been really hard lately, uh, because if if we 
spend class time going through these problems so that we can subsequently whiteboard. Well, now we've used two days of class. And while the kids are doing the problems in groups, they're asking, hey, Mr. C, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? Is this right? And so um, it's a continual struggle. And, 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 you know, it's a good thing. I I tell young teachers, it's a good thing we have 180 days of school because we get 180 shots at at getting it right. Um, Because some days don't go so great. Yeah. Wow. Let me shift gears just a little bit. In your in your bio, I saw that last year you were awarded the Golden Apple Award. This is not something I was familiar with, an award that I'm, I've heard of before. Can you tell me the background on it and, you know, tell me a little bit about the Golden Apple? So a guy, a guy that I know very well, um, he won the Golden Apple in the, I believe it was the late 90s. And so the Golden Apple Foundation was started by uh, uh, a husband and wife in uh, the city of Chicago to uh, promote excellent teaching in the city, number one. And number two, um, encourage young people to uh, become teachers. And number three, encourage people to uh, become teachers and then subsequently work as teachers in schools of need throughout the Chicagoland area. Mm. Uh, and so it's a foundation that I think uh, I probably goes back 40 years at this point. And so every year teachers are nominated and uh, then folks from the Golden Apple Foundation, they go out and they observe the teachers who are the finalists. And then they, uh, their committee picks 10 teachers um, originally from Chicago and then expanded to Chicago and the suburbs. And now it's Chicago, the suburbs and the entire state of Illinois. Uh, and also uh, moving to the state of New Mexico now, too, um, where hmm. uh, a lot oh. of the Golden Apple folks are from. And so um, Jim won the Golden Apple. And uh, what you get uh, for winning the Golden Apple is you get um, a surprise visit to your school and you get a, a little financial uh, reward. And then you get a, a free semester or quarter because they're on the quarter system sabbatical at Northwestern University Mm. uh, which is pretty cool yeah so uh you know Jim uh, who I learned about modeling from he won the golden apple and then I'm pretty sure I've never confirmed this but I'm pretty sure uh last year he was the one who nominated me and so uh in uh, in March of last year the golden apple folks came to our school and they interviewed students and parents and teachers and administrators. And I was lucky enough to be selected as one of the 10. And I'm uh, at Northwestern right now for their 10 week quarter. I actually have class tonight. And as soon as we're done, I'm going to be doing some homework for that class. Uh Uh, It's a, it's a surreal experience to be an undergrad again, uh, 30 years removed from, from that. But I will tell you, and I will add, and uh, not as self-promotion, but promotion of the golden apple program so now that I'm in this in this part of this program, uh, what I was asked to do last summer and again this summer is uh, I'm going to be part of the Golden Apple Scholars Program. And what that is is, is the program that I, I, the Golden Apple has used significant funding for uh, is to, again, draw students into the profession. So uh, this summer I will be at North Central College for three weeks working with some rising college 
sophomores uh, who are uh, attending college in the state of Illinois, and they all would like to be teachers. And they live at North Central for three weeks, and they go observe summer school classes, and they take workshops. And then in the afternoon after their uh, classes, they come back to the college, and then I'm with a group of 10 of those kids, and we talk about what they saw. And, and so I'm a reflective seminar leader is what they call it. And uh, last summer, it, it was an amazing experience. It's one of the best things I've ever done in education, working with these 10 kids who are really, really excited about being teachers. And it was not just science and not just modelers, um, but you know, I had a kindergarten teacher in my group. I had a social studies teacher in my group. I had a middle school teacher in my group. And uh, you know, we used whiteboards and, and we had discussions and it, it was really great. It, it, it was wonderful to meet them. And it really made me excited about starting the next school year, knowing that kids like that were out there studying at colleges in the state of Illinois and, and hoping to become us in 10 years. Yeah. Wow, that is really neat and exciting. Uh, congratulations for Thank that, you. I appreciate for that it. award. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I'm going to find out for sure if Jim did that or not. I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> but I interviewed Jim... Um, Give me just a second here. I'm going to look up something real quick. While you're while you're looking that up, I will tell you one thing. He'll probably be mad that I told you this, but the the thing about Jim Stankovitz, and and I say this to teachers at workshops who are on teaching about modeling. So the the magic about Jim and his classroom was he had this way about him that he never ever ever made a kid feel bad about asking a question. He's so kind and so patient, hmm. and his way about him. And it was the same thing for teachers who asked him a question, adults as well. Um, but a kid never felt bad about asking a question in Jim's room. And that kindness allowed him to have some amazing discussions and get amazing things out of his students. And, and that's what I really try to impress on younger teachers is, is that, that way, that kindness really allows you to to build a classroom where kids are comfortable talking and that that was his magic and that that's the number one thing that i learned from jim yeah that's awesome uh his that was about a year ago or so that i interviewed him but it was uh episode 36 if any of our listeners wants to go check that okay. out that's i'll be cool. listening to that later as yeah. well <laughs> cool so um when my wife kind of got started oh, 25 or I don't know how many years ago mm -hmm. with modeling. Yep her, yep, her name's on the chemistry binder that I use every day. Oh, <laughs> the, um, the focus of modeling early on was primarily toward physics education. Right. And uh, over time... It's evolved and become, you know, there's there's been a lot of work my wife's been involved with, with Larry Dukerich and others about mm -hmm. the bringing it into the chemistry world. That's pretty evolved into yep. a pretty substantial thing now. And then also biology is coming in and, you know, all these other areas where modeling is being used, techniques are being used in the classroom. And one of the more recent ones is in the math world. Yeah, and uh, I know that that you're moving toward a math uh, mm -hmm. position uh, it, it, next year or something. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Yeah, full disclosure. I was gonna I was gonna bring that up. I'm gonna be teaching pre-calculus next year instead of chemistry. And you know, going back to my first workshop in 2002, the summer of actually it would be in the summer of 2003 when I took Jim's workshop for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was incredible, and 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 I learned so much, and I learned more about being a teacher from Jim's workshop than I had in all my grad school courses, mm-hmm. and. But I was young and I was like, this will never work in chemistry. This is amazing in physics and this will never work in chemistry. Hmm. And I wandered around in the wilderness for about a decade trying to fit it into chemistry. And and finally, you know, the the binder that Larry and and Brenda wrote, uh, the modeling curriculum, finally in, in 2010, 2011, somewhere in there, Jim had convinced me, he's like, you need to throw out all your old stuff and you need to try this. And so I did. And, you know, I had met Gary Abud, who a junior I know that you might have talked to at some point down the road. And and um, and so I tried it and uh, it was amazing. And, and I was kicking myself for not trying it sooner. Uh, you know, that was my own fault. And then, you know, through Frank at our school, we brought modeling into biology, you know, because biology teachers thought it would never work, never work. And, and one of the one of the things that Jim and 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 Raj Botner and 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 Frank and I had always talked about, and including our our math chair Cindy Budzikowski, who's amazing, we wondered if this type of instruction would work in math, hmm. you know. And uh, an opportunity came up for me in in the town that I live in. The high school is a stone's throw from here. I, I could walk to it in ten minutes. Um, an opportunity came up for me to to. Um, work at that school and, and teach pre-calculus next year. And, um, and you know, I this book that I don't know if any of your, I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with, I don't know if you're familiar with, it's called Building Thinking Classrooms in Mathematics uh, that just came out that lots and lots of teachers know about. And, and there's tons of modeling curriculum parallels in this book. Um, and that's going to be my summer book project to, to go through that book with a fine-tooth comb. And, and Jim and I wondered if you could teach math with whiteboards, and I'd really love to try, love to get a discussion-based, you know, uh, pre-calc class going. And, and, you know, I I only have one section uh, of math next year because I'm going to be the department chair as well, and I'm going to treat it as a little laboratory. Jim always encouraged us, always, always, always. He said, if you're teaching science – you should be a science in your teaching. And, and that means experiment and try new things. And if it doesn't work, you collect your data and you go back to the drawing board, just like the scientific method. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're going to try and, and see, see if we could have a discussion-based pre-calculus class next fall. That's really cool. Well, you'll need to, as you develop insights, you'll need to share those with others through the AMTA, AMTA site. Uh, Absolutely. You know, that would be, I think, really valuable. Well, Jim, um, it's been a real joy talking with you, and your insights are outstanding. I think our listeners are going to gain a lot from listening to what you've shared with us today. And uh, I just, you know, wanted to say thank you and for taking the time and for being willing to share so much of your experience. It's really great really great well it's been it's been my pleasure and and i appreciate you getting the word out about modeling i mean it's 
it's changed my life. It, 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 you know, meeting Jim and learning about modeling and then, uh, you know, workshops in the summer that I took and then workshops that we put on in, in Wheaton uh, for the many, many years, uh, you know, albeit at a, a um, high school in Payless, Illinois this summer in about three, well, no, end of June, we're, we're doing a little four-day workshop in physics and, and chemistry at Stag High School and plenty of good spots still available if you're interested in that. So we're going to talk. How would somebody connect with that if they wanted to attend? Uh, I believe uh, the a- the workshops are listed on the AMT website, modelinginstruction.org. Great. Um, you could always uh, Google my last name and, and reach out and email me. Um, you can contact Matt Long at, at Stag High School in, in Payless. And so, yeah, we're looking forward to talking um, chemistry and physics and maybe a little grading and maybe a little math this summer. So uh, uh, it's always it's always a highlight and, and it really truly does um make you look forward to starting the next school year yeah that's awesome well phil thank you again thank you so much uh, thanks mark i enjoyed it so much i i hope uh i hope the 95 degree day turns out pretty nice <laughs> out there in california we have air conditioning so <laughs> all right great i'll see you all right take care thanks so much for joining us on another episode of science modeling talks Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence.